0: Sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and he had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Laconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just inside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates, because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, "'Friends, why are you doing this?' We, too, are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. This is the word of the Lord. Amen.
1: Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? But I shall control myself. Life is a roller coaster, sang Ronan Keating. And this was certainly quite a roller coaster period for Paul and Barnabas. They had escaped from Iconium, where the Gentiles and Jews had been planning to stone them for preaching the good news about Jesus and fled to Lystra, where they continued to preach. There Paul healed a crippled man, only to find himself and Barnabas hailed as gods. And then the Jews from Antioch and Iconium arrived, and this time Paul was stoned and left for dead. Paul and Barnabas' heads must have been spinning. Paul would have understood the risks that he and Barnabas were taking in preaching the gospel. Although other cultures and people of other nations might have been inclined to give them a sympathetic hearing, the Jews of the region would have been violently opposed to their mission. The claims made by followers of this new religion and spread in the main by Jews would have been considered to be nothing short of blasphemous. Paul himself would have been well aware of the fact that Jews had dispersed through the region and also would have been able to predict their reaction to his and Barnabas's preaching. After all, he himself had been at one point someone who had strongly opposed this new religion. He had sought and persecuted Stephen and been a witness when other Jews had stoned him and then gone on to persecute other followers of our Lord. But it's a foolish person who deliberately courts danger and puts their life at risk. And Paul was certainly no fool. So once he learned of the Jews' plan to stone him and Barnabas, the pair wisely decamped for a different place. I doubt he could have anticipated the reaction that he and Barnabas experienced in Lystra. Interesting the reaction came, not in response to their teaching, but to the miracle that Paul performed. We have very little detail about what happened. Luke, in writing Acts, tells us that Paul discerned that the man concerned had faith to be healed. We're told simply that Paul told him to stand upright, and he did. I wonder how we might react on seeing a miracle take place before our eyes. We pray for people to be healed, but the kind of spectacular, miraculous healings of the kind that we read about in the Bible are few and far between these days, it seems. And that would be quite a controversial topic to explore. But not tonight. I'll wimp out. We don't get any doubt in Paul's command to the crippled man. He senses that the man has the faith to be healed, speaks the word, And the man, crippled from birth, springs up and begins to walk. The crowd were amazed, and their response was to hail Paul and Barnabas as gods. John Stott, a well known Christian writer, tells us that this is relatively unsurprising. There was apparently a local legend narrated by the Latin poet Ovid. Jupiter and Mercury. Known as Zeus and Hermes to the Greeks had once visited Phrygia, both disguised as mortal men. It would seem to have been a common pastime amongst the ancient gods to disguise themselves and pay visits to earth anyway during their incognito visit. Zeus and Hermes had looked for hospitality, and after many rebuffs, found shelter with the poor elderly peasant couple who lived in a tiny cottage and who provided hospitality even though they had very little themselves. Apparently the gods rewarded this couple but took revenge on all those who had refused to offer hospitality by destroying their homes by flood. Stot tells us that the people of Lystra would have been familiar with this story and didn't want to be caught out again and suffer that fate. And who but gods could have performed such a miracle? These two gods were Zeus and Hermes, quite clearly. And they were worshipped locally. Imagine the excitement of the crowd. Such a miracle implied that the gods had come to visit them in person. But the acclamation was made in their own language, and Stott suggests that this is why Paul and Barnabas didn't realize what was happening. Because at first, Paul and Barnabas didn't realize. But when the priests of Zeus appeared with oxen and garlands, intending to make a sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas, they were left in no doubt. And they were horrified. Lesser men might have basked in the adulation. It isn't every day that you are lauded as a god. And who knows what luxurious lifestyle they might have been able to experience if they'd just gone along with it. Tempting, maybe, but not to Paul and Barnabas. They were horrified and rushed out into the crowd, tearing their clothes and protesting against the praise. They knew that they were merely mortal men, flesh and blood, like those who were seeking to worship them they knew that the glory belonged to god in our western culture when people claim to have experienced or witnessed a miracle i suspect that the response from the majority of people including some christians is often one of cynicism and suspicion people from some cultures perhaps less shall we say sophisticated cultures might be prepared to accept the divine, miraculous intervention from a god into a situation. And certainly, in some of the more vociferous or charismatic Christian churches, it is claimed that miracles do occur. Although I do believe that there are genuine miracles taking place, because I would argue that God is as active in the world today as he was at the time when Jesus walked this earth there are cases of mistakes and pure wishful thinking. And sadly, I suspect that there are those who would try to take financial advantage of such a situation. Unfortunately, many of us will be familiar with the cult of the TV evangelist, prevalent mainly, it seems, in the United States. They speak very movingly, appear to say all the right things, give the impression that they wish to appear humble servants of God. They apparently perform miracles. All that is required is faith, or and a rather hefty donation to the church, or their own personal coffers. And of course, if healing doesn't take place, well then, it's due to lack of faith on the part of the person being prayed for, or their friends, or the too small amount of money donated. And then the TV evangelist goes off in his or her gold Rolls-Royce to a palatial mansion in a secluded part of the neighborhood, well away from those less affluent. I'm currently reading a book which in part talks about an American evangelist named John Hagee. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but we'll call him that. Whilst his ministry is not about healing He is the pastor of an enormous church and apparently a local newspaper reported that in 2001, that's 16 years ago, he made 1.25 million dollars. Just let that sink in for a moment. He lives in an exclusive gated community and he is said to have remarked that he was entitled to a decent living, saying, I deserve every dime I'm getting. He may well be genuine, but when people say things like that, with that amount of money coming in, I think it does tend to make many of us wonder. I must be fair and say that there are many disciples of Jesus who both experience miracles and who are given the power by the Holy Spirit to perform miracles in Jesus' name. And we should not be frightened by them, by be cynical or put such people down. Those who are genuine will give glory to God in what they are doing and will not seek great financial recompense for healing in Jesus' name. The true disciple seeks to give glory to God for we know that we do not have the power to heal others of ourselves or to perform miracles. We can only do such things in the power of the Holy Spirit and as the Holy Spirit directs us. And like Paul and Barnabas, we should acknowledge that the gifts are given to us by God. It is he who gives them and he who teaches us when and where and how to use them. And when we do use those gifts in his name, we should make people aware that there is nothing special about us and that all we are doing is carrying out God's work. One of the gifts given to Paul would seem to be that of discernment. The passage gives us no clue as to how Paul knew that this particular man had faith to be healed. There must have been others around, but Paul became aware of this man and he took the opportunity to do something which he believed would advance the gospel, as well as in sympathy for the man's plight. In Jesus' time on earth, he had performed miracles, healing the sick, curing blindness and deafness, and even raising back to life those who had died. While this shows Jesus' compassion for those who were suffering, Such opportunities were also used by him to point people to God. Paul used the gift that God had given him for that very same purpose. Sadly, the story in our reading does not end well. Paul and Barnabas tried to calm the crowd and direct their attention away from themselves as objects of worship, but instead towards God they must have had some success because although the story says that they barely restrained the crowds from offering sacrifices to them, restrained them they did. But just like Paul in his early days of persecuting Christians, the Jews had followed Paul and Barnabas to Lystra. They must have been furious Both at seeing the adulation of Paul and Barnabas by the locals, but also in seeing and hearing them preach the gospel to the people of Lystra. This could not be allowed to happen. They must have been very persuasive, because they managed to turn the crowds who had been worshipping Paul and Barnabas into people who were willing to stone Paul and leave him for dead. I find myself wondering if they stoned Barnabas too, as the writer only tells us of Paul. Paul wasn't dead when they finished stoning him. He recovered, and with the help of Barnabas, he left the next day to preach the gospel at Derby. Several things stand out for me in this passage. First, Paul's and Barnabas' bravery in the face of such strong and violent opposition. We live in an age and a country where we don't meet such violent and dangerous responses. At worst, we are probably faced with indifference to our message or cynicism. And yet so many of us are timid and reluctant to speak to others about Jesus. The passage also implies to me that Paul kept close to God. He was able to discern a potential response to God and acted on it. How often do we fail to recognize God-given opportunities because either we're not looking out for them or because we're not keeping in close and constant touch with God? God gives, gives the gift of discernment. And thirdly, God is both willing and able to act through us, but we can so easily close off the channel by our own reluctance Inertia, lack of awareness, or perhaps, and I speak for myself here, laziness. Perhaps we are scared of what might happen if we allowed ourselves to draw close to God and kept ourselves open to His prompting and action through us. Being open to God can be quite scary. God might ask us or prompt us to do things which ordinarily we've been reluctant to do. Sometimes I've been reluctant to act on God's promptings because it wasn't a convenient time or because I was worried about what people might think or say. So how does this passage challenge us today? Are we in close communion with God? Or do we simply pay lip service to our God, attend services, and make the right noises, but not allow God access to the whole of our being. Might God be challenging us to deepen our faith, to spend more time with him? Those who know me well know that I have a great love for the book The Practice of the Presence of God, about Brother Lawrence, a 17th century French Carmelite monk, who believed that he could discern God with him in all his activities. It's a beautiful little book and well worth reading. But is it enough merely to deepen our faith and communion with God? Surely we should also be willing to allow God to act in and through us. He has given us gifts and talents. Are we willing to allow him to use us and the talents we have in his service? And when we do, and perhaps we receive adulation and praise for our actions, are we going to bask in the glory or redirect that glory where it belongs, to God? Amen.